Would you pray with me? Precious Lord, take our hand. Help us to listen deeply for your word this morning, and may it lead us home. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So one of the things that I love about our scripture lesson for this morning is that we get to glimpse Jesus before he gets his last name, before he's Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, Savior of the world. All that's coming, of course, and soon. But for now, not many people really know who he is. He's just a nice Jewish boy spending the day with his mom at a wedding. Now, in John's gospel, Mary shows up here in chapter 2, and then not again until chapter 19, when she is standing at the foot of the cross. So she's there with him at the end, and she's here with him at the beginning. And it's this day, this wedding, where everything begins to change for Jesus. And it all starts with four little words. They have no wine. Now, we don't know how exactly Mary said it. We don't know what exactly she meant by it. But I imagine her with one eyebrow raised and a knowing look toward her son. They have no wine. And he seems to get that she's hinting at something because he immediately becomes defensive, doesn't he? What's that got to do with you and me? I told them they shouldn't have used that wedding planner, he more or less says. But the eyebrow stays up. The eyebrow that says, you could do something about this if you wanted to. I've seen what you can do. I have to imagine that at least a few times in the 30 or so years of Jesus' life, maybe showing off for a girl or trying to impress his dad in the carpentry shop that Jesus let slip what he was truly capable of doing. But my hour has not come, he says. I'm not ready. It's, it's not time, he seems to say to me. Because I think this story is about a really important moment in Jesus' life. A moment that actually doesn't have very much to do with turning water into wine. That's just the situation, the context, in which the time had come for him to come out of the heavenly closet and to claim his public ministry. And standing there at that threshold, Jesus isn't quite so sure that it is the time. But Mary knows it is. Mary knows that it's time for her son to take a brave step. Now, we talk a lot in church about being um, good, right? Being ethical, being moral. And this is, of course, important and right to do. But I wonder sometimes if the church doesn't give the impression that being Christian is just about being a good person that it's about being well-behaved, well-intentioned, thoughtful, kind. But if that's the case, since most of you are already 
good at most of those things, then there isn't all that much left for you to grow into. It makes your spiritual life mostly about not messing up. So I want to suggest that today, that being Christian is not so much about being good as it is rather about being brave. Now, being good matters, but it's not the goal of our faith. It's, it's more like the prerequisite for your true faith journey to begin. You have to have that in place. So learning to be good is, is like the undergraduate degree. But for faith grad school, that starts when we start to lean in to what scares us. When we start learning how to be brave. And why do I say that? Because the purpose of our lives is to love, right? Love God and love your neighbor. There is no greater commandment than these, said Jesus. And to love you have to be brave. To love, to really love, you have to step up to the edge of your comfort zone and take one more step. You have to be vulnerable. You have to risk. You have to feel like you're not ready and then do it anyway because love is our purpose. And to love requires bravery. Let me give you some examples. On this Martin Luther King weekend, I think of Rosa Parks stepping bravely to the front of the bus. I think of all those young black men stepping bravely to a lunch counter in Alabama. I think of the hundreds of marchers, black and white, young and old, stepping bravely across that Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, all in the name of love. And my favorite civil rights example these days that I just learned about was the story of Audrey Faye Henricks, who turned out to be the youngest person in the whole civil rights movement to be arrested. Now, Audrey was one of hundreds and hundreds of school children in Birmingham, Alabama, you probably have read about them, who kept showing up kept marching, even when Bull Connor, the racist police commissioner, set dogs and fire hoses on them. And after hearing Dr. King speak one night, young Audrey went home and told her parents that she was ready to be arrested. And so on May 2nd, 1963, with her parents' permission, she and hundreds of other children stepped off the property of 16th Street Baptist Church, singing, ain't gonna let nobody turn me around, when they were promptly arrested, as they knew they would be. And little Audrey spent six days in Juvenile Hall City Jail. She was nine years old. Love is our purpose. And love requires bravery. For a more contemporary example, think of all the people 
Some of them in our own congregation who in the last few months have opened their homes and their hearts to refugees from Afghanistan. I just read about a family the other day, a family of four, two teenage boys living in Central Park who saw a request on LinkedIn for anyone who might be willing to open their home to a family with five kids trapped in Kabul. And even with all the stress and the strain and the chaos that that surely brought and all the possible ways that could have gone terribly, that family said, yes, let's do this. And that's happening all over the city. It's happened around our country because love is our purpose and love requires bravery. But it's important to say that it's not just big public social justice steps that make us brave, right? More often, the brave steps we take are more personal, more private, but they're no less powerful. To forgive someone, to, to let go of some resentment or hurt that we've been carrying for too long, that is a brave step to ask for forgiveness, to acknowledge that we're wrong and to own up for our mistakes and our trespasses, that is a brave step. It's in our relationships in a way that we're asked to be the most brave, right? To tell someone honestly what they mean to us, to, to let our guard down, to be vulnerable. To authentically risk speaking from our heart knowing we may be misunderstood and we may be judged for it. It can be every bit as scary in its own way as standing on a bridge for justice. And then also we can be brave toward ourselves. What a loving thing to do, to look in the mirror and be honest with ourselves when it's time to make a change in our lives. There are so many things that hold us prisoner, so many things that keep us down and make us small, things that keep us from living the life that God created us to live, habits and addictions, negative self-talk. Can we take the brave step to put down something that needs to be put down or claim something in our life that needs to be claimed? Can we step across a threshold into a new way of being in the world, even if we are not at all sure that we are ready to take that step? That's brave. And when you think about that story of Jesus at the wedding, it may be hard to imagine Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, being afraid or worried or hesitant to do anything. But remember that he was also just Jesus, son of Mary, fully human. And that day, he chose to be brave. He chose love, for he so loved the world that he stepped into becoming the person that God had created him to be, even if he wasn't sure he was ready.
So I hope you'll spend some time this week considering whether there might be a step in your life that it's time to take that would bring you closer to be the person that God made you to be. And it may be some bold step in the name of justice. It may be some quiet step with someone you love. It may be stepping out of some prison of your own making. Whatever it is, remember that example of Jesus and take courage and have faith because our purpose is love. Our purpose is love. And love requires bravery. Amen.